So we're not going to read the whole story of the prodigal son, but this is a summary statement, and then Riley's going to read. After the younger son came home, and remember he was, not, he was a bad boy, remember that? Uh, there was a great party for him, and this is where we pick up the story. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Thank you. So we're, if, you're, um, first, if you're like visiting today or don't know what we're doing, uh, Sharon mentioned this, Pastor Sharon mentioned, that we are reading through, as a, as a church, we're reading through the, the New Testament together over the next eight weeks. And um, we're kind of a high-achieving church, Rachel. We'll probably get a few people to run. Uh, and so in that 20 minutes a day or so, and we started this last Monday, and I'll be, uh, or somebody up here will be preaching each week on, on what we've read that week. So this week we, we read what? A few of you, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and if, you have, if you've gotten behind, just, just enter in at, at any point on the schedule. But we read the, uh, the story of Luke's gospel, how he tells the story of Jesus Christ. And um, this, this, I, I picked this story. Well, one is one of my favorites, right? It is the most famous of the stories that Jesus told. And, um, you know, even though I, I preached on it a few weeks ago, I'm going to take a different take on it today. So there's lots of application here. One is at the level of just kind of human drama and where we live out our lives. You have, you know, sibling rivalry. Anybody here ever had any sibling rivalry? If you have a sibling, you've had rivalry. How's that? And, uh, no, at some level. And then, you know, you've got the older brother who's super responsible, the younger brother who is super irresponsible. You've got the inheritance there in the background. Yeah, yeah, there's one. Yeah, I said the word. Yeah, I said the right word. I got, I got somebody engaged over here. Um, the Bible is relevant at that level, but it's also relevant at other levels. And we're going to go to kind of the macro level today. We'll kind of come in and out of it. I'm, I'm going to take, it's short today, because when we do this service, we, we're always a little shorter. So Luke um, is our writer, and he is... Um, one of the people, well, of the four gospel writers, he is the one who emphasizes the underdog the most. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And of those four, people have noticed, and maybe you noticed this week as you were reading, that Luke has a, just this heart for the underdog. Uh, for, for women, he starts out with Mary. And he did, no one else does that as they tell the story. And Mary was just you know, a poor woman from a backwards town. And, and then he tells the story of, of Zacchaeus, the tax collector guy who, uh, he's the only one that tells that story. He's the only one that tells this story, uh, the prodigal son. He loves the underdog. If he were here today, he would definitely be rooting for the Eagles. <laughs> I'm telling you, he, he doesn't like the team that's supposed to win. And um, 
yeah, he, he's for the underdog. So that's kind of who, who Luke is. And he's the only writer, maybe the reason he's that way, he's the only writer in the Bible that we know of, at least, who was not Jewish. And he was an outsider. In other words, he was not part of the chosen race, the Jewish race, as uh, they, you know, as the story plays out in the Old Testament. And there's a, there's a first century prayer, and this was written in the first century, that for Jewish men to recite, and I totally would not want anyone to recite this prayer today, but here it goes. Uh, Thank you, O God, that you have not made me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Okay? Doesn't it sound kind of, well, certainly not politically correct, but doesn't it just sound wrong? (laughs) And uh, so Luke was a Gentile. So that may help us understand why he's for the underdog and why he, uh, he has a place. As we get into the next week's reading in the book of Acts, we'll see that in this early church, he has a place for women, a big place for women, and even slaves, and, and certainly Gentiles. So the, the book of Acts, which is our next reading, by this time next week, we'll have read that whole book, those of you who are on track. And uh, at the beginning of that book, there is not one single Gentile in what's called the church or this movement, this Christian movement. But by the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, uh, there's probably more Gentiles or non-Jewish believers in Jesus Christ than there are Jews who are believing in Jesus Christ. So these two groups uh, are in, in stark contrast as we read this. Now, Luke, I want to suggest, is, is at the macro level dealing with these two groups in this story of the prodigal son. And I want to define the word prodigal for you, if I can get that slide up there. Um, there we go. It's a person who spends money or resources extravagantly or wastefully. And um, I'm looking for elbows going into sides right now. <laughs> Stay away from Nordstrom's, you know. Um, but that would—that's what a prodigal is. That's all. That's the—that's the street level definition of a prodigal. So, uh, in the story of the prodigal son, um, we—it uh, starts actually at. The story it starts. It gets prompted at a dinner table, and a lot of a lot of stories get prompted at dinner tables. That's why I like dinner tables. But, well, other reasons too. But uh, you you sit down and you begin to share life, and Jesus is sitting down and sharing life with a tax collectors as a group and sinners. Those are the those are the slang or the or slur actually words that get assigned to this uh, company of of people eating at this table and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law come up to Jesus and these, this group of people as he's eating dinner and apparently enjoying themselves and they say, they mumble to themselves, doesn't he know who he's eating with? Tax collectors and sinners. That's how we know who is there. So in that, in that doesn't he know who he's eating with, there's a lot in those words, isn't there? A lot of looking down upon who's sitting at that table, uh, which means that you have people who are thinking more highly of themselves than others. And Jesus decides to, to tell a story. To, and it, and it, I want you to think about this. The reason he's telling this story is to get those Pharisees and teachers of the law to sit down with them. And it's really a, it's a tough sell, isn't it? I mean, 
Do you think they're going to sit down and eat dinner with those people? Jesus? But that's really what the invitation is. And so Jesus begins he, in, in chapter, that's the beginning of chapter 15, is, is that scene of Jesus and the, those guys. And, and then he tells the story of a hundred sheep, one gets lost, gets found, and everybody's good there. Tells the story of a woman who lost ten, a coin out of, she had ten and she lost one and she finds the one that was lost. Everything's good there. And then there's two sons and one gets lost, the prodigal, very wasteful. And extravagant. He goes off and he comes home. Everything's good there. Eh, not so much. That's what we just read here. Everything's not good there. The older son is really, really upset. And maybe uh, that's the reason Jesus told this story. It wasn't so much for uh, the younger son types among us, but the older son types. All right, so let's, let's start with the younger son. At, in the Bible... What are some other names for the younger son? I'm going to suggest that there are many, but that some of them that you might be familiar with would be um, immigrant. Now, there's a word for today. Immigrant. Foreigner. Alien. Uh, widow. Orphan. Um, I don't know. Leper. But people who are on the outside, and of all of those names, certainly Gentile or Goy, which most of us are, most of us here, I know there's probably a few of you that have some Jewish blood in you, uh, but most of us don't. And so we are considered outsiders to the promises of God as seen from the Jewish side of things. They were the chosen people, and we were not. And I can't, it's hard to describe how much uh, of a barrier that is. Uh, in, in Israel, and even, honestly, in some parts of Judaism today. That's still a huge barrier. But um, we're going to see that, so Gentile is, is kind of the word we're focusing in on here. And remember, Luke was a Gentile, writing to a Gentile named Theophilus. Remember that part? You got into that this week. And um, he's going to, uh, next week, trace this movement forward, as we'll see as we read the book of Acts, that it's exploding into the Gentile world. But if we go back in time, if we look at Luke's gospel, if you read chapter 3 this week, you'll notice one of those places where you, you, here's how I know, you'll know if you did it or not, because it's where you practice your speed reading skills. It's called a genealogy. And there's all these names there, right? Yeah, I know. I wasn't looking, but I, can, I know who you are. And um, if you get back to the first name on the list, or is it the last name in his, in his? I think it's Adam is the last name. He goes all the way back to Adam. Now what's significant about that is he's the, of the four gospel writers, he's the only one that does that. Matthew has a, another genealogy that goes back to Abraham, the father of the Jews. And what Luke wants to make clear to us is that he's not talking about just healing of the Jewish, or, or fulfilling the Jewish uh, need. He's fulfilling the human need. So he goes all the way back to Adam. So you, the, there's, you can see in Luke's concern here, he's concerned for the Gentiles, not just for the Jews. And um, his point is that he wants all of humanity to come into the family of God. So the prodigal son, real quick, two things that, from research that I'll just share with you, and I, I don't want to overwhelm you with, with facts, but there's a guy named Kenneth Bailey. He died a few years ago. He was a scholar, a Princeton scholar, who spent uh, 25 plus years in the Middle East going to villages, traditional villages, where life doesn't change, ever. 
and they get one generation to the next. This guy is the son of this guy who's the son of this guy. That's how they define life there. And he wanted to go there to do study for what, what was life in a traditional village like in the first century because it really hasn't changed that much. So his research comes out of that. And what he discovered, he asked the question, what would happen if someone were to say to their father, a son would say to their father, uh, that I want to have my inheritance now when the father is still alive and that what he found from his research is that that just never happened. That would never, ever happen. They found, he found one case, it went to a lot of villages and he found one case where it did happen one time and the result was that the father killed the son. So it's not a good outcome. But it, it's as if his, what his research, what he got from his research is that it's a way of saying, if a son asks for his inheritance while the father is still alive, it's a way of saying, I wish you were dead to the father. So you have that in the story. The younger son asks for his inheritance and he runs off with it and he spends it wastefully. He's a prodigal for sure. And then he finds himself in a place of need. He's in a pit and he gets out of that. He starts coming home. Well, here's the other thing that Bailey tells us. When, he, when the son is coming home, as he gets closer, the father looks out in the distance and he sees him coming home and the father begins to run. And so Bailey asks these villages again, does a father, what's it like? Um, okay, Rachel, here's, here's one for you. I just thought of it. You probably don't want to ask any Middle Eastern fathers to run the marathon. Because in the Middle East, fathers don't run. They wear traditional garb, which means a robe, and to run, you have to pull up your robe, and it's the equivalent of exposing your underwear, and I know I don't see any underwear out there today, so you guys are, you know what I'm talking about here? It's not something, it's undignified. Imagine me speaking to you right now in a swimsuit. No, don't imagine, but, yeah, 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 there's a a thought for you there. Yeah, wipe that one out. All right. So, uh, but that's, that's what we learn from just some, some good uh, scholar stuff. So who in the story? Here's where I want to go, and we're, we're going to come to the communion table here. That's really, remember this story starts at a table, so we're going to end it at a table. Who is the prodigal in the story? Well, it's called the story of the prodigal son. But the most prodigal person, is that the way you say it? Prodigical? I don't know. The most prodigal person in the story is the father. Here's my case. When the son comes home, the father puts a robe on him, a, a, a family robe. He puts a ring on his finger that's the equivalent of a Visa card or a, ma- a MasterCard. It's the way you get, it's, it's, it, you know, you're in the family, you can use the family name. He kills the fatted calf. The fatted calf would be that special calf that is for things like um, weddings and um, uh, high school graduations or things like that. Big events in your life. He kills the fatted calf. Extravagant, wasteful. That's who God is. That's his love for us. Now, can you stand that? Because the older brother can't stand that. That's not his picture of who this earthly father is. It's not his picture of, for the Pharisees. Remember, the Pharisees are repre- and the teachers of the law are representing the older brother here. The arrow is pointing at them. Jesus is saying to them, you are the older brother, and you can't stand the way this math works. So the older brother says, I have slaved for you all these years. I have earned my way into what I have. 
And this younger brother, he wastes everything, this prodigal, he throws everything away out there, and you welcome him back with a party. (sighs) And the father, before this conversation happens, is in the party. He noticed that the son wasn't there, the older son wasn't there. And his love is for the older son as well. He loves older sons and daughters. What are you, older son or a younger son? Can I just confess? I'm ambidextrous. <laughs> I, have, I look at my life, my life story, and I have older son moments and I have younger son moments. Uh, and the grace of God needs to come into both. And that's what this story is about. The grace of God comes into the younger son, and we love that part. And the grace of God lingers and hangs out there as the older son considers but it seems like we don't know. The story ends kind of with like a question mark of what happened next, and we don't know exactly, but it seems as though the older son did not want to come into the party, which was a shame to the father. That was, a, that was also something that shamed the father, that his older son wouldn't be there. So uh, what do you think? Is, is God a prodigal God? As we come to the communion table, I want you to consider that. Um, N.T. Wright, who is a, another uh, theologian today, makes the case on this story that the older, this is the older son's way. When he says, I have been a slave all these years and you haven't treated me fairly. And that's, that's the lament of the older son. Is, it's not fair. That what the older son is really saying to God is those same words, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. I want life on my terms. Which is exactly, right, says what the original, our original parents in the garden said to God, we want life our way. We wish you were dead. So we're kind of all caught in this thing, right? Older son, younger son, I mean, we all need grace. So back to the the table. Um, Jesus is there, he's sitting down. He tells this story. I think, he doesn't say, but I think the old, the, um, Pharisees and the teachers of the law understand that he's talking to them. And they don't seem to sit down with him. And as we read through Luke, and like with the other gospel writers, we know that as we get to the end of each of these gospels, there's this big event called the crucifixion. And that's the fulfillment of humanity, Jew and Gentile, saying to God, I wish you were dead. God the Son dying on the cross. It's also where the extravagant, wasteful resources of heaven are spilled out upon us. And it's this table that we're invited to. So the only people who aren't invited to the table today are those who look down at others, who have that older brother thing going on in their heart. And you can get rid of it right now. Just confess it. Lord, I'm no better than anybody else. I don't deserve to come to this table any more than anyone else. There's no such thing as deserving grace. If you were to say, I deserve grace, you've deflated grace. It's a gift. And if you've never received grace before, what an opportunity it is to come to the communion table and receive this gift that God has for you. This could be that day. What a gift. So what I'd like to do right now is to pray, and um, then we're going to have an opportunity to receive. Let's pray together. Our, our dear Father, our prodigal God, who has extravagantly 
and wastefully in the sense of giving us way more than we ever need or deserve. Your grace has overflowed to us abundantly. Thank you, thank you, thank you for inviting us to sit down and have a meal with you and others who are basically a mess. But they're a loved mess. And so am I. You can just say that. I'm a loved mess along with others. And receive the grace of God that is at this table. In Christ's name, amen.